from a cryptographic standpoint, whoever Satoshi was, he had a brilliant and incredibly thorough knowledge of the academic cryptographic history. Uh, and Dan Kaminsky talks about this in a piece I read by him recently that was back in 2013. And he was like, from every context, this system should have failed out the gate. You know, the, the way that this was distributed, it was open, anybody could connect to it. And he just went through every single cryptographic networking attack that you could do. And he was like, oh, I'm gonna break this thing in an hour. So the thing is like, wow, every single time I tried to get at this thing, there was a line of code that addressed what I was trying to do. This is the Blue Collar Bitcoin Podcast, a show where average Joe firefighters explore the most important monetary technology of the 21st century. We talk Bitcoin, we talk finance, and we talk shit. Howdy, y'all. Hope you are having a fantastic day. We appreciate you spending some time with us on the Blue Collar Bitcoin Podcast. In this discussion, Josh and myself, Dan, sit down with the voice of Bitcoin, Mr. Guy Swan. Guy is the host of one of our absolute favorite Bitcoin resources, the Bitcoin Audible podcast. We simply cannot recommend this show enough. Guy got involved in Bitcoin back in 2011, and he's been obsessed with it ever since. He is assuredly one of the most well-rounded Bitcoiners in the world. He has a robust background in networking and system administration. He's an avid student of economics, and he literally reads and studies Bitcoin for a living. He's also been involved in the space since the very early, early days. In this episode, Guy Swan regales us with tales of Bitcoin old. We also cover Austrian economics, the block size wars, nodes in the Umbrella Project, why open, dumb networks will one day rule the world, Bitcoin is freedom technology, getting swallowed by sea monsters, who's your Bitcoin daddy, and more. Additionally, Guy responsibly lays out specifics regarding his current theory on who Satoshi Nakamoto is. We mention a lot of articles and pieces during this talk, and all this will be linked down in the show notes. You can follow Guy on Twitter at TheGuySwan, that's the G-U-Y-S-W-A-N-N, two N's. You can also follow Bitcoin Audible at Bitcoin Audible. You can follow the Blue Collar Bitcoin podcast at Blue underscore Collar BTC. If you are enjoying the show and you want to support us, check out the support section down in the show notes. Okay, folks, enjoy this discussion with Guy Swan. All views and language expressed by the hosts and guests in this podcast are solely their personal opinions and do not reflect their employers or organizations they are associated with. Do not treat any of the content in this podcast as investment advice or as an inducement to follow a particular strategy. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. Guy Swan, voice of Bitcoin, welcome into the Blue Collar Bitcoin podcast. Thanks for spending the afternoon with us. Hell yeah, guys. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. We were saying this before we clicked record, but your podcast, Bitcoin Audible, is something I have spent hours and hours with. I think I, when, I first, <laughs> when I first tuned in and I heard your proclamation that you're the guy who's read more about Bitcoin than anyone else you know, I think my first impression was like, <laughs> I was like this dude's full of shit. And then what an, like after- What an arrogant <laughs> ass. <laughs> after scrolling through, I'm like, 
holy crap, this guy actually might be the person on planet Earth that's read more about Bitcoin than any guy you know. I wouldn't say that lightly. I wouldn't say that lightly. It's probably, it's, 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 it, there's probably somebody else, but I, I might have the biggest proof of work. You yeah. do. So if you, yeah. if you don't, if you don't have proof of work, yeah. you're bullshit. You're just making it up. Uh, yeah. There are a lot of plebs that have read a lot about Bitcoin. I actually just threw this survey out on Twitter yesterday. How many hours have you spent researching Bitcoin? Greater than 40, greater than 100, greater than 1,000, greater than 5,000. My first like five responses were greater than 5,000. You're like, yeah, right. That's a lot of, that's a lot of Bitcoin yeah. research. I don't know. People like to, that's a lot. It's easy. It's easy to know you've been over 100. Like th there's a point, at the, the perspective on what 1,000 hours actually is, is insanely difficult. Like yeah. you could easily be between 100 and 300 and be convinced like that. Oh, no, it's definitely like 1500 hours. It's definitely like 3000 hours. I um, uh, like even in the show right now between the show and all my audiobooks of that, like which is officially recorded. I think I am. I think I'm getting close to I'm probably somewhere between 1000 and 1500 hours. Yeah. Just everything that I put on audio. Yeah. Um, and that's essentially a full-time job for three years, three and a half years. Uh, and let's say I read maybe on average, because some pieces I just know this is the piece I'm going to read. So I don't have to really code through any other articles when I'm getting ready for that episode. Uh, let's say I probably read on average three other articles. And I read those a lot faster than obviously what I'm doing for the show. Uh, so... I think I am probably at maybe 3,000, 4,000 hours, maybe total. Um, and I would even include going all the way back to, uh, you know, the early days before I started doing the podcast. If, if I wanted to add that stuff together, like 10,000 hours, I'm, I'm going for 10,000. You want to be a 10,000 pleb. Yeah. Yeah. That's ma That's it's 10,000 hours to mastery, right? That's what the uh, book is. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 10,000 hours is mastery. You and turn into a Bitcoin Mozart or Beethoven at that point. Yeah. Like you just, it's like you're Neo in the you Matrix. You just know things. You just you know. You just know things naturally. <laughs> they arise out of you. Basically, the voice of Bitcoin just said, hey, plebs, let's not be hyperbolic. Okay, let's tone down the exaggeration. <laughs> Those are rookie numbers. So like I went, to, I, I went to a fire and there were like a thousand firefighters. No, there wasn't. There's like... <laughs> 12 okay like, <laughs> there wasn't even a fire there was actually not even a fire like we all know yeah uh, can you give us a little background on how, so you said 2011 right is when you first discovered or uh, made your entrance into bitcoin yeah. the grand entrance you made can you can you kind of tell us about that yes yeah, so um uh basically uh, like i was my brother and i were living together and um uh we uh he's been coming to all the uh, bitcoin stuff and he's been kind of going deep into actually building and participating in the Bitcoin space recently, but he's been a hardcore Bitcoiner as long as I have, like essentially a couple of beat me by a couple of days or a couple hours or something. Mm, um, that's and uh, can we, uh, actually, could we get your brother on? I think we're more interested in talking to him. <laughs> <laughs> Let's cut it. He's your Bitcoin daddy is basically what you just said. <laughs> right. Basically. Josh basically. is my Bitcoin yeah. daddy. He beat me out by a few months. I defer to him. I defer to him all the time. <laughs> I'm his little and he's, <laughs> um, so, uh, he was, uh, 
uh, doing economics at the time in school. And I was out of, I had just gotten out of film school and uh, we were living together. Uh, we were kind of broke. We No, we were just broke. Um, we, we had a, like a crazy deal because the person who uh, owned the place we were staying at just needed the right of way for all the land that they had. So we were paying bare minimum on rent, but we were still just barely scraping by. And I didn't know what the hell I wanted to do. I was doing a media business at the time. So I was doing like the only the only real money in that was weddings and, you know, events and stuff like that that I didn't. I mean, it was fun, you know, but I was basically just kind of getting by like I was doing just enough projects to get to the next paycheck um, or to get get to my next bills. Um, and uh, and I was trying to figure out what the hell I wanted to do. I didn't know what I wanted to do. I'd come come back from L.A. and the movie business just seemed like another two decades of doing other people's projects that I didn't even want to be involved in. Mm just to start touching on the stuff I wanted to do. Yeah. Um, so I didn't, I didn't quite see the future in it that I had, I had dreamt up when I went out there. Um, and so I was slowly getting back into tech and I'd always loved tech. had always been my second love. Um, and I'd always been, you know, building my own computers since I was in late middle school, early high school sort of thing. Uh, and my brother was doing economics. So I was kind of getting back into the BitTorrent and Linux scene and open source, like society and everything. Like I was, I was just loving that. And I was kind of diving back down there like, okay, there's a future here. And I was also beginning to realize, like as I got older too, just how powerful that was, like how much the internet and open communication was really changing the world. I had always just seen it as like this fun thing. It's like, yeah, I'm going to pirate some music and like eh, eh, stick it to the copyright giants, you know, <laughs> but it was just, it was just yeah. like a toy to me, you know, it was just another video game, quote unquote. But then I realized like, no, this shit is shaping the world. Yeah. Like major companies are going out of business. Like the ability to control the narrative on the news is starting to fall away. Like, like I was just beginning to see real impact and looking at this less of like what is going in my life and more what's the aggregate when you put this in society. Um, and so like I was kind of going down that rabbit hole a little bit. And then my brother was learning one thing in microeconomics in the morning and then learning the exact opposite in macroeconomics in the afternoon. And he's just like that. Wait, is there a theory of everything in economics or is that still unattainable kind of like physics? Like we just can't figure out still, how it all works together. It's somehow two different yeah. worlds in micro and macro. Yeah. Yeah. That's basically, that's basically where we are. And what the problem is, is that it's basically all microeconomics just scale up and we, but we just lie about macroeconomics because it's easier to cover it up. It's easier to just take some statistics on the surface, get the uh, empirical evidence to back up because there's infinite empirical evidence in the economy. It's the most giant, complex, insane machine that has ever existed in the, yeah. on, uh, in the history of the world. So you can always find statistics to prove what you're looking for yeah. um, or to have some sort of correlation. And, uh, uh, but really, the principles are just microeconomics. Like all of the principles of economics really can be broken down to two people that exist between 300 million. You just, right. you just scale it up. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, that's kind of the basis of human action and Rothbard and Mises, you know, uh, Mises and yeah. all, the, all those crew. Yeah. Um, and uh, uh, so he was, he would literally argue with his professors and then he would come home and he'd be like, dude, this, there's no way this makes sense. It's just 
how could these two things exist at the same time? And so we started going down that rabbit hole. And what's funny, and of course, of course, we ended up at Austrian economics. Um, and it was crazy that you can go through an entire economics degree and never hear about Hayek, Mises, Rothbard, like people who truly like were fundamentally changing the nature of economics, like Nobel laureates for crying out loud. Yeah, these guys you just never even hear their name. They've been around for over a hundred yeah. years. And Mises, well, I mean, in the twenties is when he was doing his writing. So I mean, it's it's not like yeah. it's not like these guys. I mean, they just got brushed under the carpet completely. It's almost like this is an obvious statement for Bitcoiners, but if you're newer, it's like Austrian econ didn't have a vehicle to get to its destination until two thousand eight. It's kind of my seriously my opinion. So I, I think in a, in a hundred years those names are going to be prolific in I the economics. Couldn't sphere. agree more with that statement. Yeah, I think they're yeah. they're going to be <clears throat> they're going to be unsung heroes from this era when people are going to be like, how could they believe these mainstream? What how could the mainstream narrative that exists today be believed by rational human beings? How could how could that happen? Yeah. I think I think we will look back. Yeah, I think we'll look back and it will just be insane. Like it will be so obvious post post the Bitcoin world, like what the actual economics and like what the actual purpose and use of money is. And it'll be like, how could people have been so ignorant of something so obvious? And so um, important. Uh, so and vitally important. And you know? so, so critically important. Like it's it, everything is derived from it. So if you if you screw up the, something at the the utter base of the foundation of all of society, you screw up everything. All of it yeah. is just destroyed. It's going to be as readily apparent in 30 years that money and state need to be separate as it is today. The church and state need to be separate. Like people, are, people in 50 years are going to be like, what the fuck were they thinking? They put this, the federal <laughs> government in charge of the money supply. Yeah, But yeah, we haven't had a technology that allows for this incentive structure to play out. And it's pretty wild to be a part of it. Yeah. Um, so, um, so yeah, we are kind of at the convergence of all of this. We're finding Austrian economics and going down that rabbit hole. Um, I am getting back into like what BitTorrent and the internet actually means for society. And then I'm also like getting really interested in the Linux and the open source movement and starting my first, my first foray into cypherpunks and learning who the hell those people were. Um, and all this stuff. And like, this is just what we're interested in. This is what we do, uh, when we get drunk and we're hanging out at the end of the day, uh, that those, those were our topics. So it's like <laughs> this perfect trifecta and like Bitcoin is the empty, is the empty bucket right in the middle that we haven't found yet. Right. Um, it's the, it's in the center of the vortex of all three of those topics. And out of nowhere, he's debating with somebody on Facebook some one of his friends or whatever about the federal reserve or some something like that and uh the guy was just like you know you probably be interested in this thing called bitcoin i saw this the other day and it seemed interesting to me and uh, my brother went and like looked at it and started reading about it and then like immediately like he's like calling me up he's like dude you have got to check this shit out this is so crazy <laughs> and uh and i come i come running back and we're like looking into it and we're like holy shit this is this is Austrian economics. This is this is like an experiment. Like the the problem with Austrian economics is that there's no way to have an Austrian theory economy alongside a fiat theory economy and see them compete because the there's just been nothing to secure the Austrian code. 
like like you have to have quote unquote liberty. You have to have free flowing money. You have to have essentially if the yeah. money can be controlled, then so can the economy. Um, and and so it was just like holy shit, this is gonna this is gonna happen. This is gonna play out if this thing works. Yeah, this thing really really fucking works. Um, and so we were just one hundred percent down the rabbit hole. I tell this uh, story all the time that we were uh, just kind of busted and uh we were reading the white paper that that same night and just so excited i think i even have like video from like one of my old cameras or whatever where we were like talking about it like, we have to film this this is this is history i'm never going to show it cuz i'll buy that i'll buy that nft guy it's probably the most embarrassing conversation i've ever had put that up on some shitcoin network and i'll 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 take it off your hands buddy <laughs> i'm going to dig through and see if i can find it on one of my old hard drives Every once in a while, we go through like a deep rant and in, in the trailer, like in the in the back room or whatever, drunk. And we just be like, we got to record this. this is the best idea we've ever come up with. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, uh, but we we just were reading and like digging into this thing. And then suddenly, like we realized the sun was coming up. Uh, we just it had been all night. Like we'd just gone through the entire night. It was like nine o'clock in the morning. I was like, shit, I got things to do today. I can't. Yeah. What the hell? What the hell are we doing? It sounds like the uh, and Andreas Antonopoulos when he goes on and like the, the three things that he discovered in his life where he spent days without eating, just studying it. And the third was yeah, Bitcoin. Yeah. Like, yeah. That's, yeah. Your story is very similar. That's exactly right. Hearing every, every plebs, <clears throat> every pleb story is strikingly similar. Like we were talking actually before you came on about, in 2017, when I was explaining when Josh first introduced me to Bitcoin, and I had enough macroecon, finance, monetary history, just enough to where he, I'm sitting on the bay floor at the fire station, and he basically explains to me that this thing, this is a digital bearer asset that with a, with a sound supply that everybody has access to and nobody can manipulate, just the 101. And I'm, I sat there and I was like, well, if that actually works, it's going to be a huge deal. Like I had enough to make that yeah. connection. And then you kind of go off on your own and hearing you talk about Linux and then hearing Josh say Andreas, like Antonopoulos' Internet of Money One, that short little book is what just absolutely grabbed me by the collar in the beginning. And another piece that you've read, which is I think it's uh, Why Dumb Networks Are Better by Andreas Antonopoulos or something like that. Yes. Yeah, um, he has a Dumb Networks piece and then Grisha has, uh, there, there's been a, a couple of different pieces. Uh, Andreas does a great job explaining it in a lot of videos and I think he has an article specifically too. I could probably Yeah, he takes you back to like the internet protocol stack itself and things like Linux, as you've said. And I think those are gateways to understand the paradigm shift we're about to embark on and are embarking on. But yeah, there's that moment where you're like, yeah, this thing, if this thing works, it can't work. There's no way this thing actually works. But if it works, it's going to be a huge deal. And then you find out it works. And then the, the spiral just starts and your, your marriage is over. Your friendships are done. You're, you're toast, man. <laughs> Basically that. Every other attempt at this kind of stuff, uh, I think it was, Guy, you might remember this. Uh, and I think the, the, the mid to late 2010s, there was a guy minting his own silver coins in Connecticut, I think it was. And he mm -hmm. was minting these with the same weight that the constitutional amount of silver is for a dollar. And then the feds... You're talking about the Liberty Dollar? The Liberty Dollar. Yeah, that's it. 
Yeah. And the feds raided him and put him in jail for probably the rest of his life. And like every other attempt at a sound money that hasn't been it was like disintermediated. 17 years or something. Yeah. He got just because he coined he coined gold and silver. It's absolutely fucking insane. And you wonder why Satoshi is anonymous. Exactly. Yeah. And but this is the first time that we've had (laughs) Yeah. It's like uh yeah, he had uh sound evidence to believe that would have gone a bad direction for him. Anybody who does wonder simply hasn't done the work, hasn't done the research. We all know that the only, re- the only reason this thing is what it is is because this decentralization that we all go on and on about is the, the linchpin that finally made it unapproachable from a centralized party's point of view to, to put any kind of wrench into the works. There's just no way yeah. anybody can walk in and throw a, a stick in the wheel and launch you off the bike. Like This thing is going... And the decentralized nature of it, which in my opinion, and I think we'd all agree, Bitcoin is the only thing that decentralized that isn't going to be disintermediated by somebody else or any single point of failure. And that's it. I mean, that is the thing that makes this thing work. I would say Bitcoin and I would also throw XRP in there though. (laughs) Oh yeah. It's it's very promising upstart. Oh Uh, yeah, for sure. It definitely could be sound global money, no doubt. Brad Garlinghouse, <laughs> I mean, the guy's a saint. I believe yeah. everything he says. So, Guy, how do we go from you get orange-pilled, you get obsessed with this, so now, now walk us through to today where you've got this podcast, you start creating your own content, you exit, I think I've heard you say you exited your fiat job and now you're full-time Bitcoin. Kind of take a sec, bring us up to today on this journey. Okay, so... Essentially, like after kind of going down the rabbit hole that night, um, I mean, I still had no idea. I, I, if somebody asked me how Bitcoin worked, I'd just be like, it's BitTorrent for money. Like, and that was literally the depth that I understood it r- realistically. Yeah. Um, but uh, it was also such a, like, I, I mean, there, was, there were a few things in my life that I just got that excited about that quickly. And we FOMO'd in as hard as we could FOMO. And <laughs> back in 2011, it was, we discovered it just as we were starting to turn up into one of those first really early bubbles. Cause there was a bubble from like a penny to a dollar, uh, which was like the thing back then. It was like, oh, there was a crazy bubble. And then it fell back down to like 10 cent or 15 cent or something like that. And then there was this run up to like $31. Um, this was back in Mount Gox days and all that stuff. And you lived through all these. I was not there for the dollar bubble or whatever. When we found it, it was like four bucks and it looked like it was just kind of going sideways. So there was not like this emergency of like, I got to get into it. But then it was like the next day it was five bucks. And then the next day it was eight bucks. And it was just like, oh my God, oh my God, this is it. Hyper Bitcoinization is happening tomorrow. (laughs) And so we're freaking out trying to buy some. And every way to every way there were like two ways to get into bitcoin like mal gox was the only exchange and it was the shadiest of shady back corners of the internet it felt like 4chan for buying digital money um and uh we had to like go i think the first time i don't even remember this one specifically i think jeffrey actually did this so he went to like a gas station and there was like a red phone thing that you had to like call in and confirm some account thing would you put like cash into you had to blow a crypto whistle into the phone can I connect AT&T's background servers it was so shady it was so shady and uh one of the times that I was trying to put money into it 
uh, I had, there was like an account for some random, nobody's ever heard of it service. And then that would move to a, a service called Dewala. And then you would have to move it from Dewala to Mt. Gox. And that was like one of the only services that you could actually deposit. Uh, I think one of the other ones at the time was BitInstant, which was Charlie Shrim's yeah. thing that he got money laundering for. Yeah. Um, and uh, uh, so, so we were putting money in this. I remember one of the times that I, or when I put money into one of these like real shady services, the only way I was literally just going to like Wells Fargo and then I had like an account number and I was just depositing cash into this account. And so I'm like, I'm trying to deposit $100. And, uh, and the way that they distinguished that it was my account is they said, put in exactly $100 and 17 cent in change. And the 17 cent was my account identifier. That was my, that was my check sum on the fact <laughs> that it was my $100 to be putting into the account. And I was just like, this is this is about as ghetto rigged as you get for a financial, a quote unquote financial service here. Right. And, but I did it. And then like two days, two days go by and there's no money. I was like, well, that's it. I just got stolen from, but then the <laughs> money shows up and then I transfer it to what Dewala. that takes two days, zero in both accounts. And I'm like, and I'm sending out emails like who took my money and I'm broke. You know, we don't have any, we're, we're absolutely broke. A hundred dollars is like our water bill. And we're like, okay, so we don't have to drink anything for five days. Um, <laughs> Uh, and, but anyway, going on too long about this, but basically we FOMO'd in as hard as we had, we had some savings. Uh, and like I said, we were just dirt broke. Uh, it was one of the same months that, uh, uh, we literally had our water cut off. That's why I make that reference. <laughs> so you for, you, you forego a water bill in order to buy more Bitcoin at $4 a Bitcoin. <laughs> basically, seems like the greatest basically. choice you ever made in your life, you know? Well, see, no, no, that's the thing. That's the thing is that we heard about it when it was $4, but by the time we got money into the account, like it was, it was at the, the $15 green candle. Um, and we got in at the absolute tip top, like absolute tip top of like right around like 29, 30, $31, like something like that. Yeah. Um, and we're just like smash by, like, like everything was just like, <laughs> go, go, go. Um, like if there was a FOMO, like that is the FOMO. And then as soon, as soon as our buy cleared, it was just like, like just giant <laughs> red candles for weeks and weeks and weeks, just one after the other. And we're like, oh my God, what have we done? And uh, I remember uh, we put, uh, uh, I, we, the money that we had together, which our grandmother had left us for investing. Uh, and this was our this was our brilliant foray into investing. And we put a thousand dollars into it at the tip top of this FOMO bubble. And I remember I did the math one day and uh, after like three or four months and it was total worth 74 bucks because <laughs> it had fallen all the way down almost to one dollar from wow. 31 or whatever it was. I was like a butt. 40 or something. I, I can't remember exactly how, how low it went, but I was just like, and you know, that was big money. Like that was, that was all the money we had in the world. And I went and I, I threw up in the bathroom and I was just like, what? and, you, and your water wasn't turned on. So you couldn't flush it. <laughs> I couldn't flush yeah. it. It stank. It stank for a week. <laughs> I, I, I could um, say that Bitcoin has never caused me to turn myself inside out and throw up yet. I mean, yeah, it's still early yeah. yet. 
Two times, two times for me. Yeah. <laughs> that's alpha pleb behavior though. Turning off your water for sats. That's hardcore. Let's be, uh, let's make sure we get down to the brass tacks here though. Did you sell? No. Um, so I decided, so I decided that I got in on a pop, some pipe dream and I was like, there's no way if, if I've already lost everything, like, like, you know, it, it doesn't even cover my utilities this month. If, if I've already lost it all, I'm at least not going to sell unless I can explain why. If, if I couldn't explain really why I got into it and why this thing was going to work, well, I'm not going to sell until I can explain why it doesn't work, why it's going to fail. Yeah. Um, and so I just started reading and I ended up going back into tech very shortly after that um, just because I was still fascinated with Bitcoin. It was still just such a cool thing to me um and i started learning about cryptographic systems i started learning about all the cypherpunk history i read literally I and mean, there was like no content hardly to speak of um but i read everything i could get my hands on and then i just got more and more excited and like after like six months or so i was just like this shit's not going anywhere man this 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 thing is like this thing really could work and, uh, and then I was like, uh, as an internet technician, um, I was like the guy who just won't shut the fuck up about Bitcoin. Uh, <laughs> we can, everybody just that. knew me as that guy. Yeah. Yeah. We've been those guys that work for a while. Yep. And, uh, uh, I did the, got my Linux administration cert, um, uh, and kind of started going that thinking I was going to go to like server administration or something. Um, just because that's what I had been slowly gravitating toward. Uh, and at one point after, like, so as a technician, I'm like on the road all the time. So I just started consuming everything in audio that I could get my hands on. Audiobooks like crazy, podcasts like crazy. Like for four years, five years, like because I was just like, like everything that I did. Um, and I wished so bad. There was suddenly this flood of articles about Bitcoin. And I wish somebody would read them. I was just like, damn it, I could actually keep up with all of this if somebody would record them in audio. And one day, legit, I just kind of came home after like three years, <clears throat> excuse me, after three years of wishing somebody else would do it. I just went home and the first episode still published is uh, me on my wife's iPad reading an article and I was just holding my iPhone up and I was just talking into my iPhone on the recording, like the notes thing that they have yep. like, built in. And I published it. And it got like, I don't remember, I don't know how many it was like right at the time. I think it was only like 20, but it ends up, it's like, like 70 downloads or something now. Um, but uh, it was like, you know, 20, 30 downloads or something like that on the first episode. I was like, what? Who's People care? To this? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And what stupid losers uh, are listening to this? Right. Yeah. Right. And, and then I just kept doing it. And then like a year later, like there was just kind of some money rolling in from, like I had patrons and people were like paying every month, like a hundred bucks or something. Uh, I was pulling in from that. And then anchor had the like built in like sponsor ad for them. And I moved over to there and they were paying a couple hundred dollars. And at some point I was, I was trying to get back into Linux or whatever. And I sat down, we, we kind of went back and forth uh, with my wife about whether or not I should go back into the job market. And then she basically finally convinced me. It's like, we should stop pretending that you're going to spend any time on anything else. Like, this is clearly what you want to do. 
this is clearly like every minute of every day, like you'll, you'll go a whole three days and not apply for a Linux job, but you'll get four episodes of the podcast done. Like you're clearly doing this. If there was a time that we could actually afford and test this and just kind of go ham and see what happens, this is it, right? Like we've like, why not? Yeah. Why not? And so, so we did it and, uh, kind of going full circle. She, uh, she actually just quit her job, uh, two months ago uh, and she's going full time with Bitcoin audible and that's what this house does now. Heck yeah. Congrats. Family affair. Yeah. That's awesome. It's awesome. You're filling a incredibly necessary hole. I mean, there's such a wealth spring of knowledge on Medium and all these platforms for articles. A lot of these thought leaders, these ocean. hyper-intelligent polymaths are writing articles, not books. And so, yeah, yeah I'll say it again. Knowledge per minute, Bitcoin Audible, unbeatable. When you have that urgency, when you have that knowledge FOMO, which all these, all these plebs <laughs> listening, they understand, I got I to gotta pad the brain a little bit. You go find Guy Swan on Bitcoin Audible. What? what? Represent. <laughs> I want you to regale us with uh, more tales of old. Um, and here's a, here's a question. What phase um, or period of FUD or price cutoff in, in the whatever 10 years you've been involved, what's been the craziest or scariest period of time in your Bitcoin journey, just, just for the protocol and network itself? Um. There, so there was an early bug back in 20, I think there was one in 2011, but then there was also one in 2013, like really on in the per, protocol. Um, and my reaction to those was actually kind of excitement because it still felt like this tiny little experiment with this little group of people, you know, and it was just kind of cool to see things get repaired. And then there was the 12 or 20 block I can't remember exactly which one it was, but it's like, I think it was in 2013 was the rollback where literally like all the miners had to downgrade their, um, uh, their clients in order to prevent or undo a hard fork that had happened. Um, and that was also like a really cool precedent set where like, if consensus ever breaks, what we do is we step back to find consensus again. We do not mm. persist with the hard fork because that's forcing everyone who is, it's deeply centralizing to everybody who's just paying attention to it today um, and, and puts everybody else at risk, essentially. So the precedent was set that, no, we're, we're saving consensus from a hard fork, not pushing forward with the hard fork. Uh, but that was more exciting, really, to me. Like, it didn't feel like, Bitcoin could like die or have like this horrible disaster. Now that would be really freaking scary. Not because I think Bitcoin would die, but just because it's so big and there's so much attention. I think it would just be like, like that would be really, really shocking to have happen now. Like it was all just kind of a game back then. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it wouldn't be shocking in Ethereum. For though. Me no, it had happened yesterday, yeah. two days yeah. ago in Ethereum. <laughs> Uh, but, uh, uh, but, uh, the scariest time, like the time where I was, and there was like a little bit of like excitement at the same time that like, okay, well, 
you know, we kind of have to go through these growing pains, but Jesus, what, what really will, will happen here? I was a little bit reserved about it or, um, uh, not reserved, uh, resigned to, I don't know what's going to happen at the end of this, but we, at least we got to play this out. The block size wars, man. Yeah. They were absolutely insane. It was so vicious. Like people were literally openly attacking. Yeah. Um, like, like the whole, the whole block, like, I can't tell you how many times there were conversations and this still isn't stressed enough that they were like, we are going to the, the big blockers were like, we're going to fire all the core devs. And it's like, you can't, Hey, you fire volunteers. <laughs> and they were going to openly attack the quote unquote minority chain, which was going to be Bitcoin. Of course, they're the minority. Yeah. Um, because they had 86% of the minor support for Segwit 2X and whatever their bullshit fork was. Yeah. Um, they, they were going to openly attack it. Bitmain had allocated like $100 million to demolishing the minority chain. And they, it was such a fiat mindset. It's like Roger Ver was like, well, we're going to destroy the other chain. And then they're going to have to, they're, they're going to be forced to come back and work on our chain. It's like, no, they're not. They're not going to fucking leave. Nobody's going to work on your bullshit, like, bug filled chain because just because you destroyed the other one then it's just that we did something wrong and bitcoin is a failed experiment and it's time to redesign where it went wrong you know yeah um like if that happens it's just the gate the gigs up but that was it was crazy that was such a half-baked situation i mean the uh the s2f fork had a had a huge bug right at the beginning right from the outsets of the gate that would have just i can't remember exactly what it was but i know it was like a game ender for that if that changed like 1559 this last week. Yeah. There were actually like three bugs, uh, but there was one that essentially halted it. There was an off by one bug that just when uh when they forked, um, because of how you count the blocks from Genesis block, that Genesis is zero, and then block one is the second block. Um, like it literally they just programmed when the hard fork was gonna be one block off. So they for so they were waiting for uh, a block that had already happened to be the hard fork block. <laughs> it literally, the whole network, they never produced a single block. Like the whole thing just halted straight out the gate. Um, but yeah, it would have been a disaster. It would have been an absolute disaster. It's the, it would have been the most embarrassing thing to happen in Bitcoin had it not been for the user activated soft fork just being like, calling their bluff and being like, middle finger, screw it. Okay. We're the minority. Let's say we're the minority chain. I don't care. Go ahead. Attack us. We can wait you out. You burn through that $100 million. We will run our nodes. You reorg as many times as you want to reorg, but you're going to run out of money, and we've got all the time in the world. And, and that, was basically, that was basically calling their bluff, and they bailed on the whole project a week, a week before it was to go through. Um, and then they did the Bcash fork, and prices went crazy. It was, it was, I was up all night that night, the night the fork happened, um, and I was just like, well, this is it. Let's see. Just staring at the Let's two chains. The yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, we were, we both read the block size wars this summer, both Josh and I, we were in nice. at that point, but I would say I had no idea. Josh was an adolescent, early yeah. adolescent, and I was an infant. And basically <laughs> it's akin to me remembering that my mom and dad were at each other's throats, telling each other to fuck off. And there's some trauma there, but no idea. But yeah. I couldn't <laughs> fully conceptualize it. I have to, you know, talk that through with my therapist now. I think Josh, <laughs> I was blissfully ignorant. Josh had a better grasp, but I was literally sitting there. I'd made, I'd made 
what I felt like was a at that point like a substantive position. I wasn't just fucking around. I was serious about Bitcoin. And I, I think Josh, you were explaining like, dude, this thing's splitting. I'm like, what the heck is this even? I was just sitting there taking it in. I didn't know enough to to really realize what was going down. I think what's confusing for people too with the hard fork, because when people enter, when they first hear about the block size wars, their first impression is, wow, this is a fragile, weird system that's not going to work long term. But when you unpack what happened in 2017, it makes you far more bullish on the ability for this protocol to be anti-fragile and proliferate. But it takes some time to dig into that history and the inner workings of it yeah. for it to make you more confident in the in the tech here and the decentralized nature. Yeah. That, yeah. When, you, when you realize that was just an all-out civil war, like it couldn't have gotten more contentious um, and it survived. Yeah, there were there were DDoS attacks. There were uh, like Bitmain had uh, ant bleed, which was one of the only things that wasn't covered in Beer's uh, Jonathan Beer's block size war. Um, that, and I think because there was still some iffiness around that, but ant bleed was actually like so. Bitmain, <coughs> excuse me, Bitmain was the major producer of miners, I, like by far they were the majority of the network. Their machines were, and they pushed an update after the block size wars were getting like in earnest. It was like late 2016. Um, they pushed an update that allowed remote access, allowed the user remote access to their machines to auto shut them off. And it was also around this period that Bitmain got really arrogant about um, claiming that they were going to control the network and that they could they could do whatever they wanted to the minority chain that they kept referring to, which was actual bitcoin um and you know they got real arrogant about the fact that they were going to win this war hands down and it was like a six months or nine months or something after this update had been done to the firmware that they re they realized that bitmain basically had a, a key to get into all this remote access so they basically had a shut shut off key to like 80 percent of the hash power on the whole network and they were like, oh, no, it's just a feature. We just haven't turned it on yet. And it's for the user. And it's like, yeah, but you could absolutely do this. And you're over here pontificating about how you're going to control Bitcoin and that you can shut down the network that doesn't follow your rules and doesn't do what you think. Wow. You can tell, you can tell me that's not a piece of that puzzle? Yeah. You're that's insane. Shit. You're 100% yeah. full of shit. Um, and uh, so they had to like walk it back and apologize and come up with these half-assed excuses and all this stuff. But like, I mean, that was just one example. There's so many, there were so many pieces of that puzzle. It was absolutely crazy. This protocol just humbles you, man. It really, if you it just does. study the history, you study the, the years that the short life this thing's had, if you come at this sea monster, it's going to bite or swallow you whole. <laughs> one of the two, because this yeah. thing is just, you cannot commandeer this thing with a bad agenda. The, the players in that game, in that civil war, if there was anybody that had the tools at hand in order to cripple this thing beyond repair, I mean, a state attack, which everyone knows is, you know, something that's in the back of everyone's mind, like a real head on attack. But I mean, that civil war period of time when you had the miners putting in back doors in order to shut down their machines, you had guys that were, you know, prolific coders that were working on uh, chains that were opposing it. I mean, what could a state attack do more fierce than that? I mean, Honestly, like yeah. who, who could attack this protocol better than itself? Yeah. <laughs> um, and, 
And funny too is that the that you talk about it just kind of like how crazy that all that history was is that it was the most stressful time. Like I was I was actually at the beginning of it back in late 2015. I was very like, okay, which block size upgrade are we gonna get? I, I was I, I didn't quite understand the fundamental argument as to why it made sense to not do that, like why that was actually like a serious problem. And I probably tribute it to uh, Greg Maxwell for the analogy that really, really helped me more than anything <clears throat> was the entire reason that proof of work actually works to achieve consensus is that it's a vote. Is uh, excuse me, excuse me, not a vote. That's the, the exact opposite. That's the that's the second half of it. So it's a lottery. It's a lottery. So if you have one ticket you're still going to win as often as one ticket, the probability of one ticket will win. If you have 500 tickets, you're going to win according to the ratio of 500 tickets, just strict probability. Now, when you start introducing gigabyte blocks, even 10 megabyte, 20 megabyte blocks, if it takes you a second, we've got a 10 minute gap here, right? Between blocks. Mm-hmm. It takes you a second to download a block. That's actually one second in which it's not a lottery. If somebody can download the block one second faster than you, that's a race. Now, if you've got more tickets in a lottery, you win more times according to your probability. But the person with one ticket is still going to win. Yeah, you don't know point. when you're going to win. So basically what you're saying you is don't even know if you have the hash power, you the, the beauty of this thing is you don't know that you're going to be able to seize it at the time you want to is, is essentially what exactly. you're saying. Well, right? I, I want to make yeah. sure that I'm understanding yeah. this too. Um, so you're saying that the lag introduced by having a much larger downloads time for that 20 megabytes versus that one megabyte is introducing a variable other than your lottery ticket or your other probability. Than lottery. Okay, yeah, I'm, I'm tracking. It's turning it into a race. And if you're faster, if you're 20, if you have 20 more, 20% more tickets in a lottery, you just win 20% more times. If you're 20% faster in a race, you win every time. Yeah. So it becomes more akin to like the reasoning that uh, Wall Street banks position their servers as close to Wall Street as possible because the fiber optic line gets there one millisecond faster. They can execute those yeah. trades. That little advantage over a long period of time is huge. Yeah. Which means that if you're at 10 megabyte blocks and takes you 10 seconds to download a block, then a minute to download a block, then five minutes to download a block. That's an incredible centralization pressure. And anybody who isn't the top four miners on the entire chain basically has no, uh, no choice whatsoever but to simply download the block header, verify nothing in it, and start mining. Which hmm. means that the only validators who are mining the chain yeah. are essentially the biggest ones. And then if it takes you five minutes to download, you're, done, you're never going to mine a block ever. And then on top of that, you've got the centralized idea of having to have 20 times the hard drive space, which centralizes it even further because a lot of regular Joes are not going to buy 10 terabyte drives. You know? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. This is where, you know, back to, we have a lot of listeners that, you know, aren't super well versed on the tech, and and we say like just just run a node. A lot of this becomes clear once you once you yeah. spin up your own node because you just start to even just at the simplest level, like decentralization requires 
average dudes like us to be able to to spin these things up quickly. And even slight increases in either the, the, the technical aptitude required to do it or the size of the hard drive or the energy consumption to do it, those things are all going to weigh down the ability for, for people to put these things up. Yep. Um, so yeah, I mean, we, we emphasize this all the time, but run a node. Yeah. <laughs> Umbral, I mean, guy, it sounds like you've got the technical chops to have done this for probably years, but I attempted to run my own node a few years ago. It's a nightmare for somebody who's not a, you know, very familiar with computer programming, at least on a basic level. It's, it's so much command line At some line point, shit. you might have to break out the terminal. You might have to exactly. break out the command Exactly. Well, that's line the part I always had a problem scary with. I'm like, I don't know where to copy and paste this shit. I don't know the right syntax. I, don't, I, I have no clue what I'm doing. <laughs> I'm just copying some forum. It, it would never work quite right. It would always crash. But Umbrel, that thing was like magic. Five minutes, this thing's running. It's been up for like six months yeah. now. Solid. Yeah, there's a, a, a there's a handful of like real serious cypherpunks who will give umbral shit for like like a little bit of security trade off and stuff. But I'm like, nah, dude, it needs to be easy. Yeah, the UI needs to be streamlined. Like it's just it. I think the number of normies, quote unquote, plebs or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Plebs, normies is a bad word for it. But the number of Bitcoiners and plebs who started running a node after umbral massive i think there was a significant uptick like i saw a lot of people who were running their first node because of umbral yeah, yeah. i love my umbral i love my i think start nine is slowly becoming even comparative comparable really in like how easy it is it's still you're seeing a little bit more advanced stuff than umbral does yeah um like you'll it'll say oh there's a dependency problem but it will walk you through exactly what you need to do to upgrade like you just hit the fix button and then it says okay update this and you hit update so yeah you're you're more in tune with exactly what's happening on the node um but it's real simple i've run i have always run a handful a variety of nodes um but right now i've been super stoked with umbral and start nine i still always have my bitcoin core on my linux machine but well i you know the umbral like in in my mind is kind of similar to apple it just works so you plug it in but then there's always that small cohort of people who are going to get an umbral and they're going to be interested in now and more about this. And they're going to be those kind of mm -hmm. nerds that are going to drive down that rabbit hole a lot further. I'm kind of on the fence on that. Like I want to, I want to dig deeper into it and understand it better, but it's just, it allows you to do it right now. You know, it's out of the box. And if you want to learn more, if you want to get deeper, you, you can do that. Yeah. It's kind of the yeah. gate. It's the gateway. It's a really cool project for yeah. sure. I'm super stoked about it. It's like hardware wallets or anything. You just get started with something that makes sense to you and then it'll push you to the next step. Yep. Mm -hmm. You don't realize how much you're learning when just when you do like a small project or like tinker with this one thing. Mm -hmm. um, but then the next one's so much easier and you're like, I don't know why, but I just kind of know where things are. I know what to do or, you know, whatever to punch in. Yeah, it's starting um, to snowball. That's probably what I recommend for anybody who's um, uh, scared about the terminal and or open up like command line or whatever is... I would say don't be um, like there was clear, there was a long time way back in, I guess, college, really, that I was a little bit nervous. Anytime somebody had instructions like open this up in command line and do this, I'd be like, yeah, I'll do it. I'll find an easier version. Somebody's got an exe file or a DMG file for it. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, but it's amazing how many just learning the absolute basics of navigating the command line, uh, which it's just like 
it's all the same things that you would do when you're clicking on stuff or opening stuff. It's just that you have to type out a word to do those things. Yeah. It's literally just like a command instead of a click. Um, and you learn like basic navigation. You can do a lot of stuff and get around a lot of problems. Uh, so anybody wants to like kind of dig down there um, and tinker with some real fun, like not quite super user friendly Bitcoin stuff. There's a real ocean of fun shit. It's not quite there yet. And you still have to enter in a command from time to time. But it's totally worth it if you if you if that's your thing. To switch gears slightly here, you are the guy that's read more about Bitcoin than anyone else on planet Earth. And obviously you've had exposure to that is true. Tons of pieces, tons of authors, tons of thought leaders in this whole de decentralized movement in Bitcoin. If you had to pick one or a couple individuals or pieces that have really impacted you the most, what would they be? That's a really tough question. <laughs> um, I get that question a lot, and I never quite have the same answers. Um, for like changing perspective, the the uh, uh, Grisha. Um, in fact, maybe I can find this real quick. My search is not working on my website. I got to fix something's something's off here. Um, here we go. Yeah, something's wrong with my database. Of course, of course, that happens now. All right, I'm gonna have to fix something on Bitcoin Audible. But um, the uh, worse is better. That's what it is. Uh, uh, Bitcoin is worse is better. This is a uh, referred to as like New Jersey style, um, and it's something that arose in. Uh, kind of the open source ethos. And it's, it's the difference between the open source uh, mindset, engineering mindset, versus the closed source company startup sort of mindset. And the company mindset was always like, let's build as many features as we can and make this thing look pristine and if we got like a bunch of bugs or things that we have to work around in the base layer, uh, no big deal. No big deal. We'll, we'll fix it later. Let's grow as fast as we can, get as many users, get as many features as we can right now. And that is, that's Ethereum. That's shitcoins basically in a nutshell. It's that whole mindset. Whereas the open source mind net, mindset um, and the engineering mentality is the New Jersey style is do the two or three absolutely most important things that this thing needs to do do those things incredibly well and perfectly reliable and then let people build on top of it because this one's the the shitcoin mindset the the company mindset is going to grow a whole lot faster but it's going to reach a point where there is so much technical debt that just adding or changing one thing is going to break the whole system mm. and this one over here is not gonna do a whole lot at the beginning, but you're gonna be able to build on layers slowly. And those building blocks are slowly going to get you to 90%, 98% of the project that you actually wanted at the beginning. Yeah. And you're never gonna have to touch the base again. You're gonna have no technical bloat. You're gonna have an incredibly robust system. So it's like the majority of the internet, everybody thinks it's Windows and Apple vast majority of the internet runs on Linux. I was just going to say, Unix. it sounds to me like you're describing like Windows versus Linux. Yeah. You know, like Linux is not versus as user-friendly. It's, it's a whole lot more difficult to use at first. Mm -hmm. But Windows, I mean, it's user-friendly, great, but it's broken and it needs a patch every five minutes. 
And there's always, it's, it's just, yeah, it's, it's just exactly as you described. It's a constant fight. It's a constant fight to catch up with uh, moving it forward versus like there's a point where you just can't redesign the base of your software because you've you're too highly invested in the 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 band-aids that have been covering up your problems for so long. Yeah. Um, And now it takes 50 engineers when you when you when you have one engineer at a feature, you pay 50 engineers to make sure everything else doesn't break so that we can get that feature. Um, and that's just, there's a point where that just stops scaling and you got to go back to the drawing board. Yeah. It, it, I'm just thinking of this analogy just for, to help people picture this, maybe something more physical. It's like building a foundation that is just shit, but you're deciding you're going to keep building this house anyway. But then later you want to build a second story onto that thing. And you realize all the shoring up you've done and all the bandaid fixes of the, base layers of that are not going to support the second foundation. It's just going to have to be torn to the floor and redone. Yeah. Or you just like prop up a bunch of supports onto the side of the building and like put an extra couple of braces. You try to build like another half foundation around your other foundation like and modern like art. stick things up at an angle. Bananas yeah. on the wall. Put up scaffolding and then just kind of like nail everything to the scaffolding. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, like literally, yes. Um, and uh, so that was Bitcoin is worse is better and it's a really old piece. But that one was a big thing for me and like getting that open source mentality and like, what does it mean to engineer a cryptographic system that which is what Bitcoin is? And that this thing is infrastructure. It's not a toy. It's not yeah. the app that people are going to be interface interfacing directly with. This is infrastructure. It's going to be like Linux. People think the you know the front face of the internet is mac like i'm running on a mac right now what's that based off that's based off of unix and who who are we connecting through somebody running a linux server um and uh so that was a big one for me Uh, another major one was uh, money blockchains and social scalability by nick zavo i had never heard he uh, he has so many great pieces and his readings themselves like his writings aren't like super exciting they're kind of dry but they're really information dense like there's so much great knowledge and i had never heard the term i had this like vague concept of like trust and integrity and money is like a coordination mechanism but i i didn't have like one exact totem to hang on to 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 explain that and social scalability was that concept that i had been running circles around and dancing at, but had never really grasped. That was a big deal for me when I read that the first time. I was like, shit, that makes so much sense. And it's also why a trusted mechanism can only scale so far. You know, this, it's, it's how deeply tied our networks and our social sphere is to um, Dunbar's number. Uh, why we were isolated to individual tribes and war happened at the level of families and little local communities and where exactly those failings are when we scale up to the government to uh we have these uh languages and trading mechanisms like money and all these things that start scaling us up faster even though they are mechanisms of social scalability that break the barriers of us actually being able to have a relationship with people. Like I trade with yeah. collectively millions of people a day that I don't know. 
there's probably some stupid reason I wouldn't like that person or they have some religion that I think is complete nonsense. You know, there's so many different concepts or reasons, I guess, that we could hate each other, but then we work together because we're all trying to get that that capital to to continue our own lives. And that's more valuable to me than fighting them for no particular reason or for some other stupid reason because of the color of their skin or where they grew up or yeah. whatever dumbass reason we can come up with to hate each other. You uh, you mentioned Zabo and it just immediately in my mind, I, I want to know your opinion on who you think Satoshi is. Any, any <laughs> toss like, out oh, there? They're not, they're not asking me this, are <laughs> they? Okay. Oh, I'm gonna ask I thought these no. dudes had a legit podcast. See you later. <laughs> we, we, we speculate I'm, on this ourselves quite a bit. I just want to hear from the guy who's read more Bitcoin than anyone else. Like you've got a, you've got a good finger on the pulse. He may bleed such a dark, dense orange that he's not even willing to comment though, Josh. I'll comment. Okay. I'll comment. I'll comment. Okay. So I've gone through a bunch, um, of my suspected Satoshis, uh, and Nick Zaba was definitely on the short list early on. 100%. Uh, Adam back. Uh, yep. has been my Satoshi of choice uh, or suspect. It's like Santa Claus. We Twice, don't want to really know. Like I've moved away from him and then gone back to him and then moved away from him and gone back to him. It was Hal Finney for a good little while. There's a lot of great theories on all of them. Uh, but right now, I genuinely think my top candidate right now is Lynn Sassaman. Um. Uh, so I don't know if y'all, uh, there's a great piece. Uh, some guy had a, uh, article like kind of detailing out the little quirks that Lynn had, uh, how he was, cause there are a very small group of people who were kind of in the center of, uh, BitTorrent and, um, de uh, decentralized networks or distributed networks. I'm going to out myself here. I don't, I've never heard of this person. This is someone I haven't heard of. Dan, have you? I haven't either. I was playing it cool over here. Like, uh, we got to rep this. Like, we know these names, but I, I don't know who that is. Go on. I'm sorry. I just had to okay. say, like, I thought I knew all the characters that could be, but this is, this is new. Uh, let's see if this one. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Lynn Sassaman and Satoshi, a cypherpunk history. It's episode. Uh, where's the thing? 517. So it's not too old. I'm listening That's, to that uh, today. 100 episodes ago. Okay. Yeah. I was going to spend time with my, uh, my daughter and wife, but nope, that's uh, <laughs> sidelined. I, my afternoon's booked. Guy Swan breaking up the family for Bitcoin. Yep. <laughs> we knew it was going to happen sooner or later. Might as well rip the Band-Aid off. And, and to make matters worse, Josh and I are hanging out tonight with a bunch of dudes from work. So it's basically wire to wire Bitcoin and uh, Josh. Our plan tonight, by the way, I'm hijacking here. We're going to play bocce ball in my backyard. We're going to download either Moon Wallet or Blue Wallet onto a bunch of these dudes' phones, and then we're going to gamble with thousands of a dollar in my backyard and get drunk. That's amazing. That's what's that sounds like a wonderful yeah. time. We'll fly you like in. a wonderful time. We'll fly in. We'll <laughs> Sorry, keep going. So piece um, 517, you said? Yeah, read 517. Uh, and uh, it's kind of cool, too, because he has, a, uh, he has an obituary that's embedded into the Bitcoin blockchain. Um, and he was a a bit of an underdog cypherpunk legend but there's just so many little quirks as to what he did and and one of the big things is that the way bitcoin is built is that it wasn't elegantly written as far as the code goes like the code was kind of clunky 
But from a cryptographic standpoint, whoever Satoshi was, he had a brilliant and incredibly thorough knowledge of the academic cryptographic history. Every cryptographic attack, uh, and Dan Kaminsky talks about this in a piece I read by him recently that was back in 2013, of I tried to hack Bitcoin and I failed. I saw that one recently. Is yeah. It, yeah, and he was like, you know, like from every context, this system should have failed out the gate. You know, the, the way that this was distributed, it was open, anybody could connect to it. Like there's no way. And he just went through every single cryptographic networking attack that you could do. And he was like, oh, I'm going to break this thing in an hour. I, I got this. It's a cool idea. But no, this thing's doomed. Absolutely doomed. And he tried all this thing and he like kind of went through the thing. He's like, wow. Every single time I tried to get at this thing, there was a line of code that addressed what I was trying to do. Wow. And he was, and he was like, I have never seen, it, it just kind of blew his mind. He's like, you know, now I don't know what to think about this thing because I went through all of my, you know, tools in the toolbox to try to break it. And here it is. And Lynn was kind of in that, that center and he even had like some of the quirks of like saying bloody difficult like he had like kind of the he was like time wise it looked like satoshi was probably in academia on the west coast united states uh from when he worked on stuff and uh the fact that things would uh, activity would uh, uh go up a lot during the summer but not during the school year like, like there were definitely seasons and time periods in which he was active and which he wasn't um Lynn was on the West Coast, but then he also had a very English, um, uh, had some English quirks and spellings like of gray, G-R-A-Y versus G-R-E-Y, the bloody difficult, the like some of the, some of these things or whatever that were from, uh, I, I can't remember exactly what it was. I think it was like Denmark or Belgium or something like that. But that was, that was where he was from originally or where he had spent a lot of time. I can't remember the details. It's been a hundred episodes ago. Yeah. Um, but there were just so many little quirks that lined up. And um, and then also he had done multiple projects up to that point, And he basically always did it on a pseudonym. Hmm. He just had another. That was just kind of how he made all of his projects. He just kind of did with pseudonyms. They would eventually find out. There's like, oh, this is Lynn. This is Lynn's project. It's like, oh, oh, duh. Yeah, another pseudonym. Who, who'd have thought? Um, and uh, it's a good argument. Wow. It's a good argument. And I'm stoked I like to listen it. to 517. I am too. We, yeah. We were up uh, late one of these nights, as Josh and I often are, texting each other. And uh, we were kind of like, we haven't done this in a long time. We were like back in like the who is Satoshi mind. Like you, you, you ask the question, then you like get too cool mm -hmm. for it. I've gone through this phase yeah. like three times. Like, oh, I'm too cool for that. Yeah. It's not good for the it's not good for the protocol or the network. We shouldn't even talk about it. But wait, who is it? You're still a noob. <laughs> yeah. It's like, wait, 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 but then who is it? So you like go back into it. And the other night, more Josh leading me to water, but we were like, we've mm -hmm. it's Nick Zabo and Adam back hybrid. <laughs> <laughs> I was there. I was I definitely went there. And yeah. what what uh what really uh, you actually probably can fill in the gaps because I'm swimming in the deep end here with Adam back. So why does he emerge all of a sudden in 2014? That was one of the weirdest things. Obviously, he's, he's the yeah. proof of work originator. He's mentioned in the white paper. This thing is, is, at least from a technical cryptographic 
standpoint is proliferating heavily pre 2014. And this dude just comes out of left field and then starts Blockstream, who's tip of the spear on every single project in the space. Like this dude, come on, this is there's a there's a viable argument here too, right? That's the biggest like coincidental foundation for Adam Back is like there's no way that he w- wasn't involved during this. Like he was just gonna right. Like, this is exactly what he'd been working on for a decade. Like, really, you know, like he'd been trying to build a system just like this. He was part of crypto. No way he did not look into it. So how does he just kind of show up? And there were a couple of those little quirks. Zabo kind of has something similar, too, is that he wasn't really paying attention to it until some span of time. And they both kind of really pop up in earnest after Satoshi leaves. Uh, And that was one of my big coincidences that I was like, Okay, Adam Beck is probably Satoshi, you know, sort of thing. And the Lin Sassman argument isn't foolproof either. You know, it's just a lot of the pieces of the puzzle. And he's my favorite right now, uh, probably because uh, he committed suicide two months after Satoshi disappeared. Uh, He had like, like, like clinical depression, like serious depression. Um, But he was also everybody talks about him like he was a really like happy kind of hmm. uplifting like he loved hanging out with the cypherpunks and he would go to like all the actual meetings and he was just kind of a goofy dude like there was a somebody told a story or whatever of him like uh they were at like uh, like a cypherpunk like meetup sort of thing and he was like running around like trying to catch a bug or something like that like he's like just kind of a goofball um but he did have like periods of like serious depression and uh his uh, Satoshi's last message in the context of thinking that this is Lin Sassaman and maybe he's fighting with the idea of committing suicide. Um, his last message is, uh, I probably won't be around for much longer. And in the original context, I think of, I was thinking about it in the like, oh, well, I'm, I'm just moving on to a new project and anything yeah but then in that context is kind of sad it's like yeah yeah he might have been fighting with depression Hmm. um but uh i don't know it it makes me lean toward lynn now just because he has so cleanly left like like there's never been a hint of him since real realistically yeah can you imagine being coming not coming back to a project like this and how difficult as a human being like to watch something proliferate that you created and then to not want to take mm-hmm. take some credit or like i know th- i would be way too weak like i I'd, I'd want the credit for this thing i mean just about i mean besides the fact that you'd probably be putting a gulag or a black site somewhere but <laughs> maybe maybe yeah yeah, yeah. Um, i don't know it might be tough lynn Lynn deserves to have a piece of the legacy one way or the other because he's a very unsung hero in the history of like the cypherpunks and cryptography. Uh, so I like that he's there and can be remembered as maybe that was Satoshi. <laughs> um, so, but it's, it's, it's a really good one. You should, you should definitely listen definitely to it. Definitely will. Interesting. Let's, uh, let's close with this question. Um, Holy shit, are we we're already an hour and ten minutes in. Good God. We're flying. We gotta we gotta get you back to your real job here instead of just wasting time away. Are you gonna ruin Santa Claus for us too? I mean, you just yes. shattered our childhood yes. dreams. Santa Claus is actually the Easter bunny. Oh, oh shit. My God. I'm gonna tell my kids tonight. Oh my god, we just shamalon this. <laughs> <laughs> 
you just got back from BitBlock Boom. You got all these things, I'm sure. Which current Bitcoiner are you most awestruck by? So like who walks in the room and you're like, there's Michael Jordan. Who's your, who's your like, this is my guy or my gal right now. Who's, who's blowing you away in the year 2021? Damn. Uh, that's so difficult. That is so difficult uh, because it depends on like writing, like in the context of writing and what I love to read right now and who I think has the most important message that we need, we need to push. Um, my two favorites are the deep macro stuff uh, from Lynn Alden. Love uh, her stuff. Nick Carter has always got, yes, yes. Uh, Nick, Nick Carter has always got some really great, like basically around energy is one of his like really great pieces and uh, uh, explanations and analogies. And then Gladstein. Mm -hmm. Gladstein, I think, has yeah. one of the most important messages to push right now is how this like when people say this shit has no utility and then you go to somebody in Cuba who has no other way to get money into and outside of the country. Yeah. Uh, and Bitcoin is literally saving their lives and their families' lives or somebody in you know Yemen or Lebanon or uh, Argentina. I mean, it's just those stories are absolutely critical to shove in the face of some, you know, old white shithead in fintech who's like <laughs> bitcoin has no uses it's yeah. not worth anything it's like bitch it's not worth anything for you because you don't have any fucking problems you know um so that one's like critical but then like on the builder's side like alex bosworth the whole lightning labs crew like the blockstream crew fucking jack mallers yeah uh like these these these, these guys are legends um and God, it's like it's it's probably it's in Will Reeves, like the fold. I just that just that's an impossible question. Don't ask me that yeah, question. <laughs> there's it just it's endless. There's too many. There's too many. I think Gladstein Gladstein's hitting me hard this year. We actually yeah. not to spoil our next month, but we have him scheduled in September, and I am stoked what? to talk to him. That's um that's what's up. Tell him I said hey. I because I just <laughs> I think there's so many people that misunderstand this. Like I, we had people over for dinner the other week and the whole demeanor was like, well, how does the other half of the world use this? You know, you know, we're talking square one, like bitcoins are worth $50,000. People can't access them. They need the internet. And you're like, el contraire on all fronts. This mm -hmm. is the ultimate, <laughs> this is the ultimate freedom technology. And the way he, he walks you through this and the passion he does it with and the selflessness with which he's, he's getting that message out there. He's, he's so important right now. For real. 100%. Yeah. Everybody um, you mentioned, though, a, I mean, just aces, like enjoy every one of them mm -hmm. and uh, just violently read everything they produce when it comes out. Violently. Yeah. Violently. I, I would say, I don't mean this to come across the wrong way. I would say Guy Swan reads violently, but yet somehow it serenades you at the same time. I, I don't. Yeah. With that buttery voice. Very smooth buttery bitcoin violence yeah <laughs> when did you figure out you're a good narrator like just when you had that ipad mm. in your hand and you're like holy shit i'm actually really really good at reading like when did you know you had the buttery guy swan voice i'll tell you the very first time i even considered the idea um just never even crossed my mind i mean i wanted to being in film i always like oh i wanted to be an actor 
it, probably in some of my films or something. I was really kind of more of a, I want to be in charge of the story. Like I want to be the director. I want to be the person that puts this project together. And I generally work well with people so I can tell people or, or like, I feel like I would literally direct well outside of a lot of people want to be directors because they just want control over the project, but they suck at working with people. They're telling them how to think about like being an actor in the scene. Um, I feel like I'm decently good at that. Um, but uh, the first time I ever considered that maybe, oh, I've got a voice for podcasting or whatever the hell it was, was actually a guy who was an entertainer and did radio stuff. And he, like I said, I was in the wedding business for years, only because that was the film projects that paid. Uh, and uh, we had this guy who was absolutely brilliant. He was an entertainer and he would go and he would set up the basically the situation and he would play the people at the party like a game of psychology he was a scientist for having fun i shit you not <laughs> we ended up we ended up uh he, we had him at our wedding and everybody tells us we had the best wedding ever i i 100 give it to fox for for doing that um but he literally had like a system and you know we usually sit down and have a 15 20 30 minute meeting with these guys I, I, we were there. I, I spoke to this guy for like two hours and because I was just fascinated with this idea. And it's like, yeah, what you want to do is you want to make sure that you're hitting each generation uh, in, in the party. Uh, you got to make sure that you find the people who will group like he would like have this like little game where he would like just say somebody at your table needs to be the little leader. And uh, it's your responsibility to get everybody up and dancing or whatnot. And then he was like, now you need to give after this portion, you need to give everybody who's 20 years and older, like a break to sit down for like two songs. And then you need to do like, I mean, I, I, he had a system Scientist. and it was amazing. Yeah. And so we talked for like two hours on this, on the idea of like entertainment and like social psychology to get people to social pressure to everybody stand up and dance. Cause I want everybody on the dance floor, everybody, uh, and he did it. He did it. Everybody was on the damn dance floor and like 200 people at a wedding. Um, and uh, randomly, he said, after we had this really long conversation, he's like, you would be good on radio. And I was like, what? And, uh, and he was like, yeah, you got a really good radio voice. And that kind of stuck with me because I, I had never heard, I just never in a million years crossed my mind. Uh, and for years leading up to the podcast, I would read out loud to my wife. Um, so I would read like we would sit down and read fiction novels or like Name of the Wind was one of our favorites. And I would sit down and read it out loud and she would trade me like we'd be like, oh, we got to clean the room. The room's a disaster or whatever. And we'd like start cleaning it up. And she's like, all right, I'll clean it if you read to me. And I'd be like, hell yeah. Are you kidding? <laughs> uh, so I would like sit down and uh, for years, like a couple hours a day, like I would sit down and I would just read out loud and I'd do all the voices and like get it really exciting when, you know, the action scene happened. I had no idea that was prepping me for Bitcoin Audible, but uh, those are probably the two big things that led me to one day starting a podcast. And I was like, I could probably do this. I could probably, I could probably do this shit. You know. <laughs> Thank you for your contributions, brother. Pleb, keep it up. Yeah. Um, Amen. Honorary Alpha Pleb for the day. We're trying to really force this. Uh, we had Odell on the other week, and we called him an Alpha Pleb, and he kind of uh, lit up when we did it. He really took to it. So we're we're really <laughs> trying to jam this uh, maybe a square peg in a round hole, happen. but this is we're trying to make this happen, you know. 
I'm okay with this. All right. Yeah. I, I approve. I accept this. Approved. I approve. <laughs> Guy, you have a great rest of your day. Thanks for your time. Yeah, man. You guys too. Thanks so much, man. It's a good time. Y'all take it easy. Thanks for listening into the show. If you enjoyed this discussion, be sure to subscribe on whatever app you're using for podcasts. And if you have an extra minute, go ahead and leave us a review. You can also follow us on Twitter. We're at blue underscore collar BTC. We invite questions, comments, and inquiries of any kind. And our email is bluecollarbitcoinpodcast at gmail.com. We look forward to you joining us next time on the Blue Collar Bitcoin Podcast. Yeah.